you're one of our members and you've been reading some of the pastor's articles this summer in our Milepost newsletter that comes out each week, you know that I have enjoy, been enjoying astronomy, that we've been using the telescope that my dad gave Isabella several years ago. I even have an astronomy app on my iPhone. And if you're interested in that, just help talk with me and I'll help you with that. And you can hold your iPhone up with the app in the sky and it will show you exactly where the constellations and the planets and satellites are located. You can follow them along. It helps you aim your telescope too. This summer I have seen Jupiter and its Galilean moons, Saturn and its rings, and Neptune and its icy blue hues. If you go out tonight around twilight and look to the southwest, just to the right of the moon, you'll see Venus brightly reflecting the light of the sun in the night sky. Then you can turn to the south and see Jupiter, and just to the right on the same plane, Saturn with the unaided eye. My family knows when I get the planets lined up on the telescope out front on the porch that I'm going to come in and say, okay, everybody, come on out. And begrudgingly, they come out yet again to see the same thing I showed them the night or two before, just in a different position is all. But I want them to come outside at night and see the glorious treasures of God's wondrous creation. Lately, during my planet watching, I've been reflecting on the sheer miracle of life. Do you know that 7.9 billion people live on this third rock from the sun? A couple of years, we'll hit 8 billion, as I understand it. And that each one of those people is created in the image of a loving God. Each person has value and worth and purpose and is part of God's grand plan for this world. Each one. Do you know that Ecclesiastes 3.11 reminds us that God created or implanted eternity into the hearts of people? Every one of us has a desire to know our maker. To know someone or something greater than we are. And our job as a church, our purpose and mission is to help point people to God, the creator of all that exists, and that God revealed himself on earth to people in the form of a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's our mission. And we carry it out in lots of ways. But that's basically it, is to share the love of God through Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and desires to have a relationship with each one of us and promises eternity to each one of us through Christ and has a mission and purpose for each person through his church. And as I look up at the heavens at night and see the wondrous of God's creation, I've been asking the question, why can't we all just get along? Why can't people on this planet, on this earth, and in churches throughout the world just get along? 
And I don't have the answer to that question, but I know who does. And I want to serve him. And I desire to serve him to the best of my ability. And I hope and pray that our church is able to serve him with the best of our ability, to give God our very best, even though some days our very best may be a struggle. This points us to a question that we're asking today. How can we live life so that we connect with the deepest longings of our hearts? How can we live life so that we can connect with the deepest longings of our hearts and then connect with the deepest longings of the people who are around us? To be present to God and to be present to others. These are some questions that Ruth Haley Barton asks in the very beginning of her book, Sacred Rhythms, where I have drawn the title for this sermon series and the framework as we go through the next couple of months this fall to engage in spiritual practices that will help us to be present to God and present to others, that we will be journeying together in this spiritual life as we together seek God's vision for our future as a church, as you've heard Dave Keyes and Sandra Lynch share this morning. How can we as a church and as individuals be in the epicenter of the will of God for our lives? How can we live lives that are fully present to God and others? How can we live in such a way that this third rock from the sun is more reflective of the kingdom of God? How can our churches become centers of spiritual transformation rather than, as one writer suggests, country clubs for a select few? And how can I be my best self? How can you be your best self and by the grace of God, how can we look back? Can we look back on our lives and say, I did exactly what I was created to do. That was what I was meant to do. Living in the sweet spot that God designed for each one of us. Thomas Merton asked or said this question, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat. Ask me what I am living for and what I think is keeping me from living fully for that. What am I living for, for God? And what is keeping me from living fully for Him? HRBC, what are you living for? Church, what are we living for as we serve God? And what might be keeping us from living fully for that? Some will say, well, there, we don't have enough money to do all of the things that we want to do. Have you ever had enough money in your household? Some, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's never enough money. But I don't see in the Bible the words... We can't afford it. When God calls and gives us purpose and mission, God provides. And it's hard sometimes. But God is never going to call us to an assignment and not provide the means to accomplish it. 
So as we journey together seeking God's vision for our future as a church, we come in that uh, journey knowing that we serve Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He'll show us the way. We've got to do our part for sure, but God will always do his. But we're asking some questions today that Ruth Haley Barton suggests as we begin this journey. Jesus himself was known for asking lots of questions. He asked them to Pharisees. He asked them to his disciples. He asked them to people like Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? How would you answer that question if Jesus came to you and said it? Bob, what do you want me to do for you? My inkling is to treat God as a vending machine and say, well, I want a little bit of this. I want some of that. I'd like this. I'd like that, Jesus. Can you take care of those? And I don't think that's what he was asking Bartimaeus at all. But how often do we as Christians look to God in a vending machine kind of theology and miss the whole purpose of what he's calling us to do, to be and do? Ruth Haley Barton writes this. Such questions that Jesus asked had the power to elicit deeply honest reflection to the person to whom they were addressed and opened the way for Christ to lead them into deeper levels of spiritual truth and healing. The question, this question is at the heart of the story that we read just a little earlier about Bartimaeus a man who spent his days begging aside the road near the gates of Jericho. The gospel story takes place toward the very end of Jesus' public ministry. In Mark's gospel, it's positioned immediately before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he would take the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross, and die on Calvary's hill. In Luke's gospel, it is only followed by the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who sought out Jesus also in Jericho. But Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Bartimaeus couldn't see and was seated there along the road. It was the week before Passover, and pilgrims from all over the region and priests from everywhere would have been coming to Jerusalem for worship, and many of them would have passed by this very route through Jericho where Bartimaeus sat begging. All three synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, tell this story. Matthew says there were two blind men there. One of them, we understand, is Bartimaeus. Mark and Matthew report that Jesus and the disciples were leaving Jericho. Luke says they were approaching. When you read that, just know that there was an ancient Jericho, city called Jericho. You can read about that in Joshua, for example, and there was a new city of Jericho that came much later, close to the New Testament time. Kind of like going to Bristol, Virginia, and then Bristol, Tennessee. Two cities, same name, close together. Both are accurate. So Jesus and the disciples are coming out of the city followed by a large group of people. And Mark is likely saying that as Jesus and the followers got to the edge of the ancient city, 
It would have been very crowded with all these Passover pilgrims. And there they encountered a blind man whose name was Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus would have relied on other people to take him there and put him in that position every day and then to help him get back to wherever he was staying. People like him would have taken a cloak and spread it on the ground in front of them. And people would come by and throw coins upon it. As he sat there, he heard Jesus was coming by. And this is late in Jesus' ministry, so it is very likely he had heard of him come before. And this time he didn't want to miss the opportunity. It's like Zacchaeus climbed the tree because he didn't want to miss seeing Jesus through the crowd. Bartimaeus shouted out to Jesus because he wanted to make sure that Jesus heard his voice. Jesus, son of David, his uh, Messiah title. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples and others in the crowd, probably both, rebuked Bartimaeus, just like the disciples rebuked people who brought their children to see Jesus. And then Jesus rebuked them, saying, let the little children come unto me. They rebuked Bartimaeus. They said, be quiet. But Bartimaeus shouted all the more with his voice, son of David, have mercy on me. And this is the essence of what would become known to us as the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Dr. E. Glenn Henson taught that to us in seminary, and we would recite it every class. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Matthew's gospel adds the word, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's kyrieleison in the Greek. So as Jesus is coming and hears Bartimaeus call out to him, he stopped and gave Bartimaeus his undivided attention. Much like Jesus stopped in the middle of the road when the woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years touched the corner of his garment and caused him to feel the power released from him and stopped and ministered directly to her. That's exactly what happens here. Jesus told his disciples to call him. Call him. And the disciples called Bartimaeus and said, Take heart, be encouraged, be of good cheer. He is calling you. And I wonder how they felt because they had likely just rebuked Bartimaeus. How quickly they pivoted. As Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside, jumped to his feet, and came to Jesus, we see this as a miracle story because he was given his sight. Again, the Greek uh, nuance here, uh, the verb is that he received his sight again, implying that he was formerly able to see and then because of a disease or some ailment was unable to and was blind for years. And he received his sight again. But more than a healing story, this is a call story. He calls out to Jesus with a great need. Jesus hears his call and invites him to get up and come to him. That's what happens to you and me when we place our trust in Jesus. He calls and we follow. 
come, follow me. Bartimaeus threw off his cloak, meaning that he gave up the cloak with all the coins. He was surrendering his old way of life to follow that which was new. And then Jesus asks the pivotal question. Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Another translation is, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? He leaves it open-ended. And then Bartimaeus, who probably could have asked for the riches of the world and all kinds of things, if he were to approach Jesus with vending machine mentality, said this, Jesus, I just want to see. I want to see. And Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. He could see physically, but oh, he could see spiritually and became a disciple of the way, the road is also translated the way. Early Christians, even in this time, followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. A great contrast with the disciples, James and John, when Jesus asked them the same question in chapter 10 of Gospel of Mark, just a little, a few paragraphs earlier, they said, when you're in glory, we want to sit on the right and to your left. We want... in thinking like that, to have power and authority, we want the glory. And contrast that to Bartimaeus, who said, Jesus, Rabbi, I just want to see. I want to be like Bartimaeus when I respond to Jesus as my teacher, my Savior, and my Lord. I want to see like he sees. I'm grateful that I can see physically, but I want to see as Jesus sees. Church, we want to see the community around us as Jesus sees it. And that's something that is learned as we are obedient to his calling and seeking his vision. On this path to spiritual transformation, we simply ask three questions or three statements of three things that we can say. Uh, name our desires like Bartimaeus did. He named it. He, he spoke from his heart. But not only did he name his desires, but secondly, he named them in the presence of Jesus, acknowledging that Jesus had power, that Jesus could do something and could help him in the way no one else could. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's one thing to name our problems, but it's another thing to take them to the one who created you. He knows your heart. Psalm 37, 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And last, 
having done that, simply embrace a willingness to be vulnerable before Jesus, to be open to him when he asks us, what do you want me to do for you? Really. I pray that this message and these questions will help you on this journey of spiritual transformation and vision work as a church. Let's pray.